Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode 111 of the Book Cougars, two middle-aged women on the hunt for a good read. I'm Emily. And I'm Chris. And we're so happy to be here today. We've had another weather challenge. Um, I think the last episode we had just experienced the tropical storm slash hurricane. And just the other day, we had a tornado come through the neighborhood. (laughs) (laughs) Crazy. We're both fine. Thankfully, there are no injuries in our in our community that I've heard about anyway. Yeah, just um, a lot of injured trees, sadly. Yeah. But, um, you know, I think some of that had to do with they were already wobbly from the hurricane, you know, and then this tornado took down those that were weak, weakened by by the hurricane, you know, but possibly. Yeah, we had uh, we were fortunate we didn't have property damage, just some scrapes and stuff. But some of our neighbors had pretty substantial property damage, unfortunately. Yeah, so we're happy to be here. We're still at a distance. But you know, with with the uh, power of technology together. So we have an exciting announcement of our next and final read-along for the year 2020. Yes, we're so excited. We did a poll on Goodreads this time. We chose four finalists, and the winner, by about 44%, so pretty confident that the 80 people who voted, a big majority wanted to read Celestial Bodies. Yeah, and this is by Joka Alhardi and translated by Marilyn Booth. And it's the first Arabic novel to win the International Booker Prize, yeah, which I think is cool. So super excited. This one's been on my radar for a while. It's exciting to know that some of our readers are interested in reading it too. Yeah, so. absolutely. It was. It's about three sisters. And you can check out the description on Goodreads a bit, a bit more about that. But so many people commented that all four selections, they would have been happy to read any of them and I know all four are going on my TBR for sure yeah mine as well yeah so we're gonna read it and talk about it on episode 116 which seems like a big number but that's just in November November 10th yes that's when that episode will air and so we will be doing another zoom chat for those of you who'd like to participate we'll have that zoom chat on Sunday November 1st Again, at 7 p.m. Eastern time. Yeah. And then in the show notes for this episode, I'll have an email link that if you'd like to be part of the Zoom conversation, you can be um, an early bird and just send us an email and let us know. And then if you don't participate in the Zoom chat, but you want to, you know, read along with us, we'll have a Goodreads page for that, as well as, you know, you can always just send us email comments or on social media or Goodreads by November 5th, because we will be recording the episode on November 6th. Yeah, and we love to incorporate people's feedback and questions and thoughts about the book that we've chosen. Yeah, so please join us. We're very excited. And we, like Chris said, we love to have the more the merrier. That's how we feel here at the Book Cougars. Absolutely. (laughs) So before we jump into our regular segments, I just wanted to um, note something that I thought was kind of fun, that two books that we've talked about on previous episodes are up for James Beard Award this year. They're nominees. And the James Beard Award, for those of you who don't know, are awards that recognize culinary professionals in the United States. It's specific to the United States, but it can be really wide, the the group of people that are included in this. So I thought it was fun that to the two books that we've talked about, the one was nominated in the writing category and it's Eat Like a Fish, My Adventures as a Fisherman Turned Restorative Ocean Farmer by Bren Smith. Yeah. Which I talked about on episode 81 and 82 because I read the book and I had the pleasure of seeing Bren um, at a Biblio adventure. On a yeah, Biblio. he's a local to us author. Yeah. It's so exciting. Yeah. Very exciting. And I mean, it's so funny because when I saw him, he was like, I can't believe I'm, you know, doing a book event. I can't believe I won- wrote a book. And now it's like, you may be a James Beard <laughs> winning writer, you know, which would be hilarious and not hilarious, but ironic, I guess is the better word. And then in the restaurant and professional category, the cookbook that you talked about, The Whole Fish Cookbook, New Ways to Cook, Eat, and Think by Josh Nyland is up. That's awesome. Such a good book. Yeah. Yeah. And you talked about that on episode 98, if anyone wants to go back and listen. So 
yay for us for reading two <laughs> books that the world thinks is uh you know worth nominating in a very famous food category so That's great it's good to see fish getting their recognition too that's right. <laughs> We're big fish, believers in fish around these parts. There, speaking of which, there's been um, right in August, in like mid-August, the bluefish come to town, literally. And there's just like swarms or pods might be the better way of saying it, of them out in the sound. And it's so fun to be out there and watch them. So Chris, what are you currently reading? Well, I'm currently listening to Isabel Wilkerson's new book, Cast, The Origins of Our Discontents. And it's brilliant so far, heartbreaking, and but I think required reading for Americans. I won't go into to detail at this point because I am, I think I'm on chapter four or pillar number four. She has the different pillars of cast. So it's fascinating. And there are brutal stories in this book, but it's really important to understand what she's talking about and a strong part of her argument. Yeah, I definitely want to put that on my radar. And I too would like to, well, we talked about this, I think on the last episode, I'd like to get it both in book and audio form. Yeah, yeah I got a hard copy um, to have too, because I love nonfiction footnotes and mm -hmm. indexes and just to be able to go back and explore some concepts in more detail, I need to have the reading. I mean, the auditory is great, but for me, like the visual is so important in yeah. terms of learning. And the audiobook is very well narrated by Robin Miles is her name. Well, that's funny you should talk about audio because I'm finally dug in to Shantaram. Oh, yay. The book that has been plaguing me <laughs> on my shelf for so long. And I'm really enjoying the audio more than reading it, oh, which I think is so interesting. I'm doing both, but I find that the audio is more engaging. I didn't write down the narrator's name. I'm sorry. I will mention that on the next episode when I, when I finished reading it. But I had this funny experience yesterday where I was listening to it because I was doing a bunch of cooking. And there was a passage and I thought, oh, I have to highlight that in my real book, you know, mm -hmm. so I paused the audio, went to my real book, and I had read up to about, I think, 375 pages or something in 2015. Mm -hmm. But this time I started over. And I went to open the book and the very same passage was marked. Oh, that's great. <laughs> so I'm nothing but consistent. You know, I thought that was hilarious. But I'm enjoying it, like I said, much more in the audio version, I think because it's just very wordy. And so when I read it, I get a little bit bogged down by the words, but the narrator is so good and does different voices that the wordiness is not doesn't feel like a lot. You it's know, great. I guess. Yeah, that's the only thing I can imagine. But it's set in um, Bombay, India. And the premise is that this gentleman, Lynn, has fled his native Australia. He was in prison. He escaped prison, fled to Bombay, and is living um, in the slums of Bombay and getting to know the people of the country. So it's very much a love story to the country. There also is a love story, I'm told, but I'm on page three, some, 300 and something, and he still hasn't gotten there. But it is a thousand pages, so. Yeah, you got, you got some time. <laughs> That's right. I'm looking forward to a little bit of love here. Yeah. So. That's great. Well, the, the other book I'm reading is a, an, old, an old favorite of mine and millions of other people throughout the last 1,500 years. It's The Consolation of Philosophy by Boethius. Wow. And this is a new translation by David R. Slavitt. And it's a book I read, I don't remember if I read it first for a class or just because, who knows, but I've read it a few times and I had two copies of it, but I couldn't find them because I thought at the beginning of the pandemic, this would be something that I'd want to read because Boethius, it was written around the year 15, or sorry, not 15, 524. So long time ago, during a time of great turmoil in the world, you know, the Roman Empire had collapsed, the Goths had sacked it, the Pope is coming to power, Constantinople 
is in you know growing in power and so there are all these forces coming together causing huge social change and boethius was imprisoned and then executed for having been a supporter of the roman senate because he Mm -hmm. that's the tradition he grew up in and so he wrote this while he was in prison and and i think i've talked about lady philosophy in the past in a past episode that the figure philosophy is sometimes portrayed as a a woman and Mm -hmm. so this is a conversation he has with lady philosophy who comes to visit him so the first the opening scene it's written in verse and he's depressed and crying and you know writing this awful poem as he says and then the figure of lady philosophy comes down and basically says you know when you're depressed poetry is not what you need (laughs) you need logic because poetry will just keep you depressed so that's kind of an interesting thing i think for contemporary readers and it's just very it's a comforting book to read i think during this time and this translation is so accessible it's really relevant to today in our current crisis in america uh one of the quotes i put on twitter the other day let's see if i can find that real quick So this is Lady Philosophy, and she says, I have been doing battle forever against proud stupidity. Mm. (laughs) That was written in 524. Another really good quote that I enjoyed is, if you want the physician's cure, you must bear your wound. Mm. And when it comes to psychological issues, which is what this book is looking at as well as societal political issues you know you have to bear those psychological wounds to be able to begin healing so i think it's a great read it's pretty short and again this translation by david slavitt is really good that's boethius's the consolation of philosophy good for you getting in there and doing a little mind work (laughs) (laughs) what's left of it in this this year (laughs) Chris and I um, were talking last week and we said, you know how there's like always a word of the year? We decided for 2020, maybe the word should be frazzled. Yes. (laughs) You have your chosen word that you aim for. And now we have our word of reality. Right. (laughs) Gosh, so what have you just read? Well, I picked this book up off my shelf because... I'd been reading a lot on my Kindle and I've, I had a week of just so many Zoom meetings that the weekend came and I said, I want just a book in my hand. So I toured my bookshelves and I found this book called The Mother-in-Law by Sally Hepworth. Um, thank you to St. Martin's Press for sending me a copy. And Sally Hepworth, I think she's, you know, very prolific and well-known. She's an Australian writer. So her books always release like a year earlier in Australia than they do here So if you look on Goodreads, I think it says that this book came out in 2019, but it actually came out in 2020, I think March 2020 here. So it is available now. And it's it was nominated on the Goodreads, you know, nominations for the year as a mystery thriller, which I didn't know when I picked it up. I just thought, oh, the mother in law, I've had one of those. Let me see what this is about. (laughs) And it was. like a murder mystery it starts off with the main character lucy and her mother-in-law diana is found dead in her home and a suicide note is found but not like sitting by her it's squirreled away in a desk drawer so there's some question you know if she really did commit suicide wouldn't you think she'd put the note in a more visible place you know so then the story goes back and forth in time in two points of views of both lucy and her mother-in-law who's you know now dead we know but diana so it kind of um the story reveals itself in these chapters and you really it's not one of those stories of like oh the evil mother-in-law it's really that this there was this really interesting relationship that developed between Lucy and Diana, where Lucy was able to learn about her mother-in-law and her mother-in-law revealed some deep, dark secrets to her of her life so that she had more of an understanding upon her death of perhaps why she had died. Mm. I'm trying to be very cagey because, of yes. course, I don't want to reveal any <laughs> um, anything. But one of the arcs, too, is this mother-in-law, Diana, has she's 
runs a nonprofit where she helps refugees, specifically female refugees, assimilate to America. And I thought that part of the story was very poignant and interesting. And then it's balanced, or maybe balanced isn't the right word, but the other arc is that Diana's two children are, Diana has great wealth and they are interested in her wealth. And so the book really speaks to privilege and how children manage their lives, knowing that there may be this potential inheritance ahead for them and whether or not their parents share their wealth with them during their life because they're afraid of how it will influence their children's choices. So that was a really interesting look at that versus also refugees. And then also that whole idea of how we can get to know the people who aren't our actual family of origin, you know, so in this case, Lucy's mother-in-law, you know, they weren't family of origin. So sometimes you can reveal yourself differently because of that. Right. So I really enjoyed it. I mean, I tore through it in one weekend. It was the perfect antidote to, you know, real world and screens. That's great. <laughs> so, again, it was called The Mother-in-Law by Sally Hepworth. What about you? Well, I finished the my my big kahuna, um, <laughs> Forever Amber by Kathleen Windsor. I finished that, all 972 pages of it. It was really a good read, I have to say. I, there Maybe the last 200 pages or so got a little bit like, okay, come on, let's go. And that could just be my mood. I think, mm-hmm. and I know at one point I had a thought of, well, maybe I should pick something else up just for a break because it took for me a long time to read it. But then I thought, don't do that because you'll never get back to it. So I'm glad I didn't do that. And I did read it. I finished it. I really like the ending. Didn't see it coming. Again, I just, I know I talked about it a little bit before in a, in a past episode, but it came out in 1944 and it was a huge seller. I think it came out later in the year. Um, Some other big sellers of 1944, um, A Tree Grows in Brooklyn by Betty Smith. That one, technically, it came out in 1943, but it was on the bestseller list a lot in 1944. And then also Strange Fruit by Lillian Smith. And that's the classic novel about interracial love that was also banned in Boston, like Forever Amber had been. Forever Amber, a lot of people have made comparisons with Gone with the Wind, and you can totally see that with Amber being kind of like the impulsive, scrappy, I'm going to make it woman like Scarlett is. And, you know, as a result, for both of these women, I admire them, but I also always see them as a little bit um, adolescent. I never really feel that they've come into their power because there's always this unrequited love happening with them or a tortured love happening with them. And then there's also the love interest. The love interest um, of both of those books were uh, was a guy who was very handsome, huge sex appeal, was either a pirate or a war profiter. Profiter, is that the right word? Profiteer, sorry. Profiteer. Profiteer running ships during times of war. In the case of Forever Amber, it's war against the Dutch. In Gone at the Wind, of course, it was the North and the South. Do you think part of that's because it makes him leave and then they have to be at home pining for them? Yeah, I think that's part of it. I mean, there's also the class or caste issue as I'm starting to think of certain things a bit more since reading... um, Wilkerson's book so yeah that's it there's the class caste issue the war issue that separates people there's also with Forever Amber her love interest he's actually from the upper classes uh, royalty and she while technically having been born uh, in the upper strata of English caste was raised with poor farming people. So Mm. she really doesn't know her heritage. And this is a bit of a, you know, I'm not going to say anything um, about that. But so the other thing is her love interest, he's not just, you know, doing the the shipping thing. He's also, he becomes a planter in Virginia in the colony. So he's a slave owner. 
Mm. And that's not something that's really dwelled upon in this novel. But if you think about it, that is exactly what's going on. He has this huge plantation and he's getting more land all the time. And he obviously needs slaves to work it. And he actually, during one of his visits coming back to England, and, you know, Amber's always waiting for him to come back, even though she's been married to all these other men in the meantime, he brings her a small child, African-American boy, who's four or five. And then he, he kind of grows up with Amber and is with him for the longest time. But there's a lot of, you know, racist depictions of people of African descent So, like, here's a line. His name is Tansy. And so she's, he's always in her bedroom. Like, he's always with her. And there's nothing sexual about their relationship. Although one of her husbands really, there's a really creepy story about how you can see his mind becoming distorted by things based on this statue that he has. But it says here, so Amber is in her dressing gown lying on a little day bed with her trim ankles crossed while Tansy sat on the floor beside her, contemplating the frayed toes of his shoes. Though he could be very amusing, usually he did not speak unless spoken to and was quiet in a way which suggested some strange inner tranquility and almost animal self-sufficiency. So again, like the same thing that we saw in Gone at the Wind, African-American characters are portrayed in animalistic terms quite often. Yeah, that's not very attractive. It's not at all. It is of the time period. Kathleen had set out, when she was 18, she wrote this list of things she wanted to do. And one of the things was to write a best-selling novel. And probably read Gone at the Wind and seen the movie, the American public was primed for this novel. I think that dealt with an even earlier historic time period that Americans had an attachment to. But Kathleen got into this time period, the restoration period from her husband, who was writing his senior thesis, I think on Charles II. So she, I guess, out of boredom, as the story goes, picked up one of his books and just got really fascinated with it. So while he was off serving in the Marines in World War II, she read supposedly almost 300 books on the time period and biographies. So the historical detail is really rich and not overdone either. Mm. Um, So she describes the plague in London, which was uh, just the scenes I'll never forget. I don't think just very raw and physical, the fire in London and just so many historical details. So I enjoyed it. I've heard from readers who have read it, who reread it. Still today. So um, who knows if this book will have a resurgence. The copy that I read was a new edition from Chicago Review Press. Again, that is Forever Amber by Kathleen Windsor. Great. I'm so happy you got it done. Good for you. I am too. Oof. Feels Uh, good. (laughs) I read Prettiest Star by Carter Sickles. This book will break your heart. Completely break your heart. Um, It's set in 1986 during the AIDS epidemic, and Brian is a young man who's grown up in rural southern Ohio, an area that was very familiar to me. It's um, the part of Ohio that I used to drive through to visit my daughter in college for several years. It's a beautiful part of Ohio, but it has some issues. And um, he is um, not out to his family, but he is gay. And he decides right when he graduates high school to just move to New York City. And he creates a wonderful life for himself. But it's um, during the time when AIDS is really starting to wreak havoc on the city. And his lover dies from AIDS. And he too comes down with it and writes a letter home to his family where he hasn't gone back to Ohio since he left. And it's been many years and comes home to live with his family and to die with his family, essentially. And his family still doesn't accept that he's gay, doesn't want anyone to know that he has AIDS 
And I was reading about the author, Carter Sickles, actually in the acknowledgement section, he said that he was um, compelled to write this story because he read an article about a man who was living in a very um, unwelcoming community and suffering from AIDS in the 80s and went out to take a swim in the local public pool and the havoc that it wreaked on his life and in, you know, to this town. And so there is a scene in the book of this young man, Brian, going to the pool. And it's so beautifully written because, you know, swimming pools for me, I know you and I both, we love water, you know, and it's just such a respite from your body. And so he painted this beautiful scene of this man just floating in the water, but then the reaction of the town you know, in in people's defense, not to defend, you know, homophobia or anything like that, but when it came to disease, people didn't understand the disease at that point, you know, in 1986. There were some people who did and were very welcoming and understood, you know, that they, of how they would, you know, that they could have a relationship with him and not get the illness, you know, and there were others that just thought he should be condemned, you know. And so it's very poignant. He has a wonderful relationship with his grandmother who accepts him as he is and brings him into her home eventually. And it's it's got a great cast of characters and is told from varying points of view, his mother, his sister, him. So again, it will break your heart, but I thought it was beautifully written and really painted a picture of that time during the AIDS epidemic where, you know, most of what I've read, it's like people who chose to stay in the city and form a group together or the people who weren't family who took care of people suffering from AIDS. But I've never read anything where someone chose to go back to a home that they knew would not be welcoming, would be very uncomfortable and, you know, try to die a dignified death, you know, so. Yeah, that's, you know, out of the experiences that I've had with people in that position that that's you know not an easy thing to do and a lot of people were not welcome back into their homes Mm -hmm. especially when they were dying because as you said people didn't understand the disease for the longest time and you know I remember conversations about you know sitting on toilet seats you could get AIDS Mm -hmm. you know um, it's in the air so I mean it's much like our current pandemic we don't know the details right. of this disease and they're learning all the time that it causes respiratory, you know, circulatory problems, heart problems. So it's, it's fear. And I, and I think so often that any group that is the first one to get a disease like that, they're so ostracized and demonized yeah. and everything. So I can imagine that is a very heartbreaking novel. Yeah, but it was incredibly well written it's a debut, I believe, and, um, you know, worth the read. I know it sounds dark and dismal, but it's it wasn't. It was beautifully written, and the relationships that were drawn and the complexity of that time period, I think, were really um, well portrayed in it. Again, it was called The Prettiest Star by Carter Sickles. And that's all I read. Did you read anything else? Or were you forever ambering forever? Well, (laughs) I did. um, I picked up another novel when I finished Forever Amber. I just couldn't. I I had a couple days where I couldn't get into anything else. And I just realized, just stop. Don't even try. After that many pages, sometimes you just need a break. But I did then eventually read a Cather short story for the uh, short story project, Tom Outland's story is the name of it, and it's technically a middle section of her longer novel, The Professor's House. This collection that came out after her death, uh, the editor included it, and it's a Western story about this young guy who he's he's working as a cowboy with his friend, and they stumble across these ancient Native American cliff dweller ruins in this mesa. So it's all about them kind of digging things up and cataloging things and being very respectful about everything and then going out over to D.C., Washington, D.C., to try and get help and resources to really do this right and protect things and understand it and try and, 
get a clue. Um, and so not to give too much of a spoiler, uh, it is a beautiful story of the West for sure. And I think that's why the editor pulled it out because people love her Western writing so much. But what I'm struck by, and you know, I'd read it before, is just how much it is the story of a young man who, who should be just, just kind of crushed by disillusionment. He actually becomes empowered by it. And I think that's one of the beautiful things about the story itself. And it really is the heart of the novel, The Professor's House. I enjoyed it. Good. Yeah, I wasn't sure. Like, I'd never read it just as a standalone story. So I wasn't quite sure. But it, it definitely works as a standalone story. And Chris wrote a review about it. And um, that's on her blog. And it's part of the Willa Cather Short Story Project. So I will put a link to that in the show notes. Did you do any biblio adventuring or couch biblio adventuring? I did. I did a few things. I actually went out into the world. Laura and I wanted to go driving around. And I also wanted to have a new library post, which is another thing I like to do on my blog. And since most of them are not open, I decided to look for a town that had a couple libraries. So we drove up to Glastonbury. They have three libraries in that town. And, and that was fun. So we had all three of them. I hopped out, took pictures. At one of the libraries, a bunch of volunteers were sitting just outside in a gazebo. And they saw me taking pictures and waved me over. So we chatted. At our, and one of the volunteers said, do you want to go inside? I have the key. I was like, sure. So That was nice. <laughs> yeah, that was neat to get inside. So it was a two-room former schoolhouse. And, you know, she said, this is, you can tell that they were prosperous. And I said, why, that they had a schoolhouse? And she said, no, that they had a two-room schoolhouse and not just a one-room schoolhouse. So it was neat to, to get inside there. So that was my real-life biblio adventure so fun so so none of them are they just doing curbside do you know you mean like you can pick up books but you can't get in the library no i don't think so i think they might be doing pickup because uh, i did see people walking and returning books they were all closed when i was there um okay. i know the main library or the big one they had just closed like maybe an hour or two before you know they have limited hours and what was funny about that was you know here they have these huge signs saying, we are not accepting donations during this time of COVID. Please do not leave books. Any books you leave will be thrown away. Of course, you know, there's like 10 bags of books that people had left in boxes. And I was just like, people. Read, read the signs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that, and then I did have some couch biblio adventures, but you want to go back and sure. forth? Yeah, I had a couch biblio adventure. I discovered... A pro well, I don't know what it is exactly because I looked I I um just listened to it on from my desktop, but I don't know if it's available from podcast players. It probably is. It's called the Quarantine Tapes, hmm. hosted by Paul Holdengraber. And episode twenty, he talked with Min Jin Lee. Oh, cool! Our lovely author friend. And Paul Holdengraber, to remind people, was forever the director of the New York Public Library. And he used to do those, like, New York um, Public Library talks and mm -hmm. things. He had a very, I mean, this was before podcasts were podcasts, you know. They used to just play them, I think, from the library site. But anyway, he moved to L.A. and he's now the founding director of the Onassis Foundation Center for Dialogue. So I don't really know what they do there, but I wonder if this was kind of a reaction to whatever they were supposed to be doing there wasn't happening because it was probably closed, you know, for COVID. So he started these interviews with people and he's a great interviewer and I loved the conversation he had with men. So I highly recommend it. I'll put a link in the show notes um, and it, you know, it's of the moment. So he was talking to her about basically what it was like to be you know at home and for her at home at that time he was talking to her she lives in Harlem and it was you know at a very peak time in the pandemic so it was interesting to you know to hear what they had to say so again it's called the quarantine tapes with Paul Holden Graber I specifically listened to episode 20 with Min Jin Lee and I will put a link in the show notes oh that's cool I'll have to check that out I, I think I yeah. saw him in conversation at the library with Susan Orlean, I believe. Yeah, we did that did together. Did we do that together? Yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah, that was fun. 
Yeah. That's when we had our Elizabeth Gilbert moment. Remember right. we sat with Gilbert? Yeah, she's... Recognized her head. <laughs> yes. <laughs> she was super wonderful and chatted with us a bit. So I also did a... It's not so much um, about books. It was about writing. Um, but Roxanne Gay has a class on Skillshare, which I did. And it's called... It's a creative writing class called Crafting Personal Essays with Impact. And I thought it was really good. I thought the content was great and actionable. And then she has, you know, handouts that you can print off. I really enjoyed that. And do you have to register with Skillshare or can you just do any class you want? Do you know? You do have to register. And I, I did as part of our business research. So I've been looking around and just her name popped up. So I was like, oh, check that I'll out. I'll do that. She's kind of successful in that arena. Yeah. <laughs> Just a bit. Yeah. And then we watched, we had a, after the, you know, latest weather trauma, uh, Laura and I just took yesterday off and just laid around and watched movies. So we watched three and at least one of them was based on a book. We watched Crazy Rich Asians, which I had seen before when it came out because I had just read the book, but Laura had never seen it. So it was really nice just to put our feet up and chill out watching some movies and, you know, reset our central nervous systems a bit. Yes, very important. Yeah, I got to um, do a Couch Biblio Adventure also where I saw um, Kathy Gunst and Catherine Alford, who were the editors of the cookbook Rage Baking, which I talked about on a previous episode because my mind was blown that they put vodka in their pie crust, <laughs> which I know a lot of people know. I did not know. Um, but they, this was through um, Truro Center for the Arts at Castle Hill. Um, they were supposed to be doing it in person, but instead they were both on Zoom from their respective kitchens, which as a nosy baker, I loved, you know, I'd rather them be in their own kitchens than in some, you know, random room somewhere. But so what they did was they both made pie crust and showed us different techniques. One of them made it with their hands and one of them used a um, food processor. I couldn't find that word. Sorry. And then they made galettes, which are kind of like rough pies or tarts where you, you just kind of roll out the pie dough and then you put whatever filling you're going to put in the middle and then you just fold the crust over. Mm. So it's kind of a rough version of a pie. I love them. Mm. And one of them made one with berries and she was up in Maine. So it was like fresh Maine blueberries. And then the other one did a savory version with zucchini and tomatoes. I was so hungry by the end of this, but um, they also, so the, the cookbook is about rage during the political climate after the 2016 election. So they also talked about that. They mm. talked about politics. So it was a very interesting blend of, you know, watching a cooking demonstration and then getting down to business. And I really enjoyed it. Um, again, Kathy Gunst and Catherine Alford, um, the editors of Rage Baking. Nice. That sounds good. Oh, pie crust. Crispy, flaky pie crust. And they did use vodka. One of them used vodka. One of them was out of vodka. <laughs> so I thought that was funny. So but, could you, I mean, I know that we talked about that. It's about the evaporation of it during the baking that makes the crust nice and flaky and everything. Could you use other types of alcohol or is there something about vodka specifically? Um, vodka doesn't have any sugar in it. You know, it's a very what they call a clean liquor. So I don't think so. But you can substitute um, vinegar. Mm. Oh, interesting. So people, yeah. So and most people substitute apple cider vinegar because it just has that little sweetness to it also. But you could use white wine vinegar. Oh, so, yeah. okay. Good to know. Yeah, I wouldn't recommend balsamic. Yeah, <laughs> that's a totally different <laughs> texture and flavor profile. But that's good because yeah. I, I know that that stuff does evaporate during the cooking process. But I know people who are recovering alcoholics or drug addicts don't like to put anything alcohol related in what they're making. So knowing that apple cider vinegar is an option is great. Yeah, yeah, and I wouldn't if I were recovering alcoholic. I wouldn't want vodka in my cabinet, you know. So right, I totally get exactly. that. I think, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they and the woman who didn't have vodka didn't put anything in. She was also like, you know, you also don't have to put anything in. Yeah. So now I will say the reason one of them used a food processor and one of them used her hands was fascinating to me because I've never been a successful pie crust maker. And then this, when I started to try, because the year 51 for me is going to be tackling pie crust, 
I used my food processor and I had tremendous success. And she Mm -hmm. said the reason she doesn't use her hands is because she has very warm hands. So it affects the texture and consistency because you start to melt the butter right away. And that's exactly my problem. So I was like, no wonder. That's why I had success with my food processor. That's so so fascinating. That's great to know. Yeah, I have incredibly warm hands all the time. Unless I'm like, it's the Arctic outside and I take a walk without my gloves. And even then, if I put gloves on and take a walk in the winter, eventually I have to take my gloves off because my hands get... Yeah, same here. We're (laughs) warm-blooded. So do you have any upcoming adventures on the books? So yes, I do have an upcoming event. Um, This one is on September 2nd, Wednesday, the day after this episode drops. It is through uh, the Greenwich Village Preservation Organization. It is Willa Cather's Greenwich Village is the name of the event. And it's with Frances Marone. You know, some people still really only associate her with Nebraska, but... She was a New Yorker for most of her life. Um, So that'll be really a fun event. Again, it's September 2nd, Wednesday. It's 6 p.m. And it's listed as a two-hour event. Hmm. You do have to register for it. And we'll put a link in the show notes to that. Yeah, and get on it right away if you want to go. Because it's the day after this airs. Well, I wondered wondered if I was going to surprise you with one that you don't know about. And it's actually the day this episode airs, so Tuesday, September 1st, and it's through Politics and Prose, the bookstore that I am dying to get to in Washington, D.C., and it's a Zoom event, a virtual event, with Hillary Rodham Clinton interviewing Louise Penny for her newest book. That's awesome. Yeah, because remember when we saw Hillary, yes, we're on a first name basis, (laughs) She said that when people said, you know, how did you kind of relax and seek solace after the events of the 2016 election? And she said she loves Louise Penny. Yeah. So I think this is so cool because it's going to be fun to see her kind of fangirl over Louise Penny. That's so so cool. I didn't look to see. I'm assuming there's still space available. I'll put a link in the show notes for people if you want to sign up, but get on it right away. And um, Louise Penny is really fun and interesting. We've seen her. So I can only imagine the two of these women together having a grand time. Well, and I have one um, on the books that I signed up for on September 8th, and it's through RJ Julia. And it's with the author Carrie Arsenault in conversation with the author Danny Shapiro. And this is about Carrie's new book that just released, I think, called Milltown. Reckoning with what remains, and this is in Mexico, it takes place in Mexico, Maine, it's nonfiction, and it's about her experience living and growing up there around a paper mill that her family was involved with, and um, the area is known as Cancer Valley, which is terrible, so I think it's about kind of economic doom because the paper mill eventually closed and how it left the town, but also the physical consequence of people working in the mill and living where I'm pretty sure paper mills are pretty historically tainted the water, right? Yeah. Yeah. They smell so awful too. Yeah. Yeah. So, so anyway, I'm, I'm sure it's not the most uplifting topic, but I'm really interested about the book. So I want to hear her talk about it before I decide whether or not I want to get a copy. Yeah. That one's on my list for sure. I've been hearing great things about that book. Yep, me too. Yeah, a lot of high praise. Yeah, so again, that's called Milltown, Reckoning with What Remains. Great. So the the one more event I have on the books, it's not until November, but I want to mention it now because it could involve reading a novel for people. Um, Again, I mentioned Willa Cather's The Professor's House a little while ago, and uh, Brandeis University has an annual novel symposium. And in the past, it was done in person, but now it's going to be an online event and anyone is welcome to register. It's November 6th and the novel that they've chosen is Cather's The Professor's House. So reading the book ahead of time is a great idea because there are going to be panels of scholars talking about different aspects of the book. And the focus is, or I should say the title of the symposium is Willa Cather, Settler Colonialism, and then, okay, 
indigene I can't say this word indigeneity have you heard that word before no okay it's not ingenuity no it's willa cather settler colonialism and indigeneity and i think i'm pronouncing that right indigeneity it's about first peoples and oh yeah, yeah. okay so it's just i guess a a fancier academic word you know how academics like their words yes they do concepts <laughs> um and it's so funny talking about that our buddy ann boyd rue who wrote you know the book on little women that we both love so much she is putting together a list of tips for academics to learn how to write for a larger audience so to write with more clarity and not have 85 descriptors around one concept so <laughs> well she's a good one to write it because her book was so accessible yeah. i loved it yeah. yeah so wow interesting good for her yeah so that event it's uh we'll put a link in the show notes again but it's november 6th and it's pretty much an all-day event cool so do you have any upcoming reads Oh, boy. I do. Okay. No, I have another big one. (laughs) (laughs) This is From Here to Eternity, James Jones. Let's see. This book is, well, with the afterword and everything, it's 867 pages. This was my Classics Club spin book. So (laughs) I have the paper copy that I ordered, but I also downloaded the ebook because I thought, you know, it is really hard to lay in bed or lay on the beach and read an eight, 900 page book. Yeah, so. no, that's no joke because I had Shantaram by my head this morning and usually, you know, I wake up at about four and then I read to go back to sleep. And this morning I woke up at four, I rolled over to look at the book and I was like, I don't want to hold that book right now. Right. So I just forced myself. I did a bunch of self-talk, like, just go back to sleep. <laughs> and I did. So it's the first time where I was just like, oh, it's too heavy. I can't cope at 430. Yeah, it's tough, you know, and it's just it's so bulky. And yeah. Now, will you try to get some of the audio as well, you think? Or no? You know, it's a good question. I don't know. I haven't thought about that. I mean, Um, to get through it by Labor Day, that would probably be the key. Yeah. Well, I'm just going to try and get through it in September. Yeah. And you know what? Um, One of the the latest uh, episodes of Reading Envy, uh, Jenny had Robin from California on as her guest, and they talked a lot about mood reading. Mm. And I'm a total mood reader. I'm a proud mood reader these days. I used to be the type who had to finish everything she started. And so I'm hoping the book grips me and I read it in September. But if it doesn't, I'm not going to lose any sleep over it. Yeah. Uh, so we'll see. Many books out there to read. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. And what's interesting with this one, and I'll probably talk about it more later, is when it first came out, it was censored. Mm. the language was censored uh any homosexual aspects were censored and this is the restored version so so i wonder what the size difference was that's interesting you know like yeah or if they just if they just changed words yeah i i would think they would just change words probably i mean there could have been some chunks because there's this one character in the book who gives other guys blowjobs for money and things like that which you know military life and um so that was not acceptable when the novel came out when did it come out i think it came in the 50s let's see originally published 1951 so it's really interesting like the you know so many books obviously in the 40s 50s that were censored right for language for mentioning sex abortion Yep. homosexuality yeah. you know and you just think i don't know i i just really am always fascinated with history and the more you learn and the more people dig into things the more you realize the things you've been taught about your country are not necessarily what happened and how things are or were 
Yeah. And I think there's also, you know, we change as we grow, you know, as children, we have a different perspective on things, obviously, than as young adults, and then as older adults. So it's a combination, but I agree. Yeah. yeah. Well, and even with like those earlier books, I mentioned a tree girls in Brooklyn, which is also a book on my classics club. Um, That's and then strange fruit. That. But that book was not banned. That was mm-hmm. actually an armed service edition book. Mm-hmm. And there was a movie made out of it. There was a musical made out of it. Like, so it's just really interesting mm-hmm. what, mm. and so I'm looking forward to reading that one. It's about a young girl growing up who doesn't have a lot of certain issues in her life mm-hmm. to have mm-hmm. been banned about maybe. Mm-hmm. Or are they just more, I'm using air quotes, acceptable issues? Right. Yeah. 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 Because yeah, I think there's alcoholism in that novel, right? We're getting mm-hmm. off track. Sorry. Yeah. So the books I have upcoming are it's a little bit of a quandary for me because they're library books and on my e-reader and I'm looking at Shantaram like, ah, you know, same thing as you were talking about with Forever Amber. Like, do I want to just step away and take a little break? But I'm just getting to the point where I stepped away last time. So my intuition is saying, don't do it. But so I might, these books might have to go back to the library or be sucked off my Kindle is what will really happen. So one of them is All Adults Here by Emma Straub, which is getting rave reviews. Um, I really want to read it. And then the other is The Women of Copper Country by Mary Doria Russell, oh. which also got rave reviews. And I love her writing. So... We'll see how Shantaram goes. I want to just keep listening to the audio. So I was thinking maybe I should step away from reading it, read one of these books and do the audio. Mm -hmm. But I'm not very good at two fictions at the same time. So I might try it, like step into one of these other books and see what happens. But more to come. We'll see. Right. You know, maybe they'll be different enough. Yeah. That, yeah. Yeah. So we'll see. Well, make sure to ask you at the beginning of next episode how that's going. Yes. And we should remind people, too, that we are affiliates of Libro FM. It's a great service if you're an audiobook listener. If you um, sign on to Libro FM and use promo code BookCougars, all one word, you get two credits for the price of one. It supports local independent bookstores, a, a percentage goes back to the bookstore that you signed up under or you could be in a general pool where the money will be divvied up between all independent bookstores so it is a way to support your local indie yeah we we're believers totally well everyone this is the first time we have an episode that ends with just us this i know time. it's been no a while right yeah. yeah great to see you chris i miss hanging out with you maybe we'll get to Same go on here. a bit adventure soon together i hope so it's been a while we'll have to find a place where we can maybe meet up and go on a socially distant walk yeah that would be lovely we will be back in two weeks until then we wish you all happy reading thanks for listening to the book cougars with chris wallach and emily fine we'll be back with another episode in two weeks until then come chat with us on social media or on our goodreads group And if you'd like to contact us directly, email us at bookcougars at gmail.com. Thanks, everyone.